Hello, and welcome to the Dynasty Locker Room Podcast. I'm your host, Nation, and today we'll be continuing with our Dynasty Prospect Series, looking at the prospects ranked between 26 and 50. And with me today again, I have the Test Monster and Tyler. Tyler, why don't you let us know about uh, what you had going on this week? Yeah, so this week I just posted my NL Central boom candidates. Uh, the candidates included Dylan Carlson, Luis Castillo, Cabrian Hayes, and I break down sort of, you know, why I think they're going to have a breakout season. Obviously, Luis Castillo's a guy that broke out in 2019, but uh, sort of went backwards this last year. But break down why I think he's a good cheap candidate to buy right now, as well as Cabrian Hayes and Dylan Carlson. So you can see that on Dynasty Locker Room, or you can go on to Reddit. It's uh, going to be under FART0263. Once again, feel free to make fun of my name. It's FART0263. But next week, I'll be coming out with the NL Central bus candidates. Exciting. Looking forward to uh, diving into those a little bit more and, and what you have coming out next week. Test Monster, what are you up to over here? Yeah, I'm just a guy who's working on uh, some fantasy forward uh, rankings. Those just got posted. Also working on uh, my buy and sell uh, National League outfielders, rounding out that series now that we've covered all the pitchers, infielders, and American League outfielders. Talking about guys like David Peralta, uh, Mookie Betts, and Brian Reynolds, to name a few. So pretty excited to wrap that series up and move into these rankings full steam and hopefully uh, get some baseball sooner rather than later. I know we're all looking forward to it. Yeah, those uh, meetings that happened this week doesn't bring any uh, positivity to me. Um, I still think we're we're on a, a ways away from being able to get spring training and the, and the regular season started. Any other uh, conflicting opin opinions on that from what you heard? No, I mean, I think for me, it, it seems like there's just more back and forth and non-actual negotiating more than anything. And it definitely seems like we all might lose this shot bet more than anything. Yeah, here I thought being the last one was going to give me a win-win situation, either get bas baseball back earlier or be right and, and have you guys take a shot. But the baseball drying out is going to be a lose-lose for everyone. So hopefully uh, in the next upcoming week or two, we see some real progress and actual negotiations uh, being made here. But enough talk about uh, that Rob Manfred thing. Uh, let's dive into these top 25 to 50 prospects here. And in these in this range of players, you have an interesting mix. Some of these players have been in these lists for a long time. Some are brand new, and we have some big climbers coming up here. So be ready to dive in here, and we'll start it off here with Test Monster. And I know a player you wanted to touch on here, ranked 47, was Hunter Green, breaking uh, right into that top 50 for you. Let us know what you think about him and, and why he's still here in your rankings. Yeah, arguably nobody has missed more time since being drafted number two overall than Hunter Green in 2017. He's lost time in 2019 due to Tommy John and all of 2020 due to the pandemic. Uh, you talk about a fastball that's been talked about by scouts and anyone who's watched him for years, stemming from that 2018 Futures game appearance where he sat in the triple digits, which is amazing. Uh, Post-injury, we've seen his mechanics kind of change in 2021. And that arm slot is now much lower. Uh, it's given his fastball some tail instead of carry, which gives some interesting light on the swing and miss rates 
versus the tailing action that's going to run into bats. So we'll see how that carries forward moving forward. But it's also given more break to that cutter slider hybrid and that slurvy breaking ball. They've definitely got more action on it now. Definitely pitched well in double A this year, despite that layover. And it was quickly moved to triple A where he definitely got hit around a little bit more, uh, especially with that long ball, a little bit more homer prone than I would have liked to see. Uh, but still, the underlying numbers were nice. Uh, sustainable 12K for nine, average walk rate. Uh, tossing 100 innings this year did some to quell that relief risk questions I had, but that change in that arm slot still has that risk. Uh, still, he should slot back in that AAA rotation to start the year. We could easily see this 22-year-old break onto the scene with the Reds this year sometime, middle end of the year. Yeah, I, you know, just sort of to piggyback off of what you ended there, I, I'm actually a firm believer. I see Hunter Green breaking camp in 2022, and, uh, you know, you really touched on his plus pitches. I mean, that fastball is just incredible. Uh, he's got a plus slider. I mean, you sort of mentioned that curve slurve. I think that's something that he still needs to work on to really, you know, have multiple pitches to be a big factor in the majors. But overall, you know, how he developed between double and triple A this year, I was very impressed. Uh, I do still think injury, you know, he's injury prone. I think we're going to see a lot of injuries even when he, you know, breaks camp into the majors. And over the years, I just think, you know, you sort of watch his arm spot. I think this is someone who will be, you know, visiting the DL consistently. But if he can be putting up 120, 140 innings with his K rate, I think he is someone that, you know, you're going to want to target. Uh, you sort of touched on his walk rate. It's something that doesn't concern me a ton. I mean, he, he's a, a hard thrower, and we've seen these guys, you know, be a little bit more consistent. And with the walk rate right around three, three and a half, I think he can hone that back a little bit to, you know, two and a half, three, which for as much K as he's going to put up, I don't think that's the end of the world. However, I do think he is prone to the long ball. And I think that's something that is going to translate into the bigs and, and uh, just, you know, how he pitches, he gives up a lot of home runs and we've seen it throughout the years. And I just think that's something that's going to, you know, haunt him in the majors. I'll be interested to see if he can also incorporate some kind of fourth pitch into the mix to keep lefties off balance a little bit better. You talked about that fastball and those breaking balls, but it'll be interesting to see what he can, bring to his arsenal to keep those lefties off balance because typically you don't see righties attack lefties with those breaking balls aggressively at the major league level without a change of offering. So it'll be interesting to see how he does battle with major league hitters this year. It'll definitely be really exciting to see him finish his development, hopefully, and be able to stay healthy. Again, being able to have those, that super electric fastball that, is already major league ready. We all know that, but the ability to hopefully bring his K rate or his walk rate down uh, to the three or below three would definitely be a big improvement for him being able to make that jump to the major leagues and be able to pitch deep into some games and give you some real value here. But the next player we want to go touch on is outside of pitching. Tyler, you're pretty high on MJ Melendez. Uh, you guys have him combined ranked at 50. What are you thinking about him and his path to some playing time? over there in Kansas City. Yeah, this this is probably one of my favorite prospects that we're going to talk about today. He's He's gone on a roller coaster in his minor league career. 2018, he had a pretty good season in A-ball. Across the 111 games, he put up 19 home runs, had a 
decent batting average at 253, but he was very susceptible to striking out bad plate discipline. Uh, we saw that carry over into 2019 when he was promoted to high A and his season was atrocious. He batted 163. He only put up nine home runs across 111 games. And this is one player that benefited having that 2020 season off. Uh, I think, you know, with that season off, he, he took a different approach at the plate and he opened his stance, uh, incorporated a big leg kick, and we saw that carry over in 2021 for him. Uh, he just absolutely mashed in double A and triple A this year. He batted uh, 288 with a 386 on base percentage. He put up 41 home runs. If you haven't watched his home runs, they're, they're very Joey Gallo-esque. I mean, he doesn't just barely get them out. He mashes. He's got extreme power, uh, plate discipline, something that he worked on, and uh, his walk-to-strikeout ratio was very impressive this year. Uh, 75 times he walked, 115 Ks across 123 games. Uh, he's also got a very strong arm, so as far as behind the plate, I don't see him having problems keeping that catcher position. Uh, the only problem is, is I do see him getting called up this year, and with Salvi back there, I see him at best as a backup catcher, if not having to shift over to first base or DH, but I I really do see him debuting this year. Yeah, I mean, you, you look at this prospect, and in a year that we saw another Kansas City catcher set power-hitting marks at the position in the, in the major leagues, another catcher on the farm absolutely balled out with 41 home runs, and Melendez is that guy. He doesn't have the strongest defensive game yet, and I wonder if the Royals are going to use him in that platoon-type player role between catcher, backup catcher, DH, just to get him some at-bats because that bat is major league ready. Uh, he's got great pitch recognition and discipline that dramatically improved last year with that time off in 2020. And he doubled his walk rate and no longer strikes out at such a prolific rate. Uh, I do worry that it might take him a while to be that everyday backstop, but he absolutely has the type of power that could lead the position in home runs for a long time. Tyler and I took a look at some of his scouting videos a little while back. His swing looks so effortless to me. It looks like I'm watching Shohei Otani swing the bat. I, I don't know how he generates that much power with that swing, but it's really fun to watch, and I can't wait to see it at the major league level. Yeah, you, you sort of touched on that Shohei Otani swing. It You watch him hit from that left side, and it, it looks very similar how he gets him out, but yeah, it's very impressive, and I, I do agree that, you know, with Salvi Perez back there and him having to work defensively, if he can just keep that catcher eligibility, his value is just going to climb more and more, and and uh, I'm excited to hopefully see him debut this year. Do you guys have any concern that he doesn't get to keep that catcher eligibility, gets called up, and they want to get him uh, in the games more often and ends up in that DH, everyday DH role or everyday first base role? Um, you think that the backup catcher should be there for Salvi. Salvi should want some days off, so he should be able to do that. But is there is there any concern, or would there be a big concern on your part if he does move to that DH or that first base, and how would that affect his rankings moving forward? I, I think I, for me, I'm not so concerned about that first base hole. I mean, you, you look at another guy in that system in Nick Prado, and I also think he's going to be up this year another guy I touched on in my top 15 rankings for the, the division. So I, I'm not so convinced that he's going to end up at first base. And to be honest, I'm not sure that he slots in at another spot on the diamond. So if he ends up DHing and spelling catcher occasionally, 
I'm not worried about him losing that role at all unless he is not the backup catcher for the team and he's just the DH going forward. But I have a hard time believing that's going to be the case with a younger guy who does have the defensive upside that Tyler mentioned. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, with Salvi Perez getting older and catching less and less games and they have to keep his bat in the lineup, I mean, you just look to, for these guys to flop. One catches, one DHs, and the other, you know, they flip-flop. I don't see it being a problem in, you know, even in that DH role, let's just say, you know, he is a subpar catcher when he makes it to the bigs. That bat still plays anywhere, so he might lose a little value if he loses that catcher role, but I just don't see that happening. Yeah, 41 home runs really plays anywhere as a bat. I mean, that you'd be okay with that as your DH, 41 home runs, 103 RBIs across only 123 games. So definitely really excited to see what he gets to come up and, and bring to the big league club, especially with uh, another prospect we'll touch on in the top of our uh, prospect rankings there in, in Bobby Witt Jr. And now let's move over to Cade Savali. Test Monster, I know you want to talk about him. You have him a little bit higher than Tyler. You, you guys have him combined, slotted in at 44. Test Monster, you got him up at 40. Uh, what is there to like about him, especially uh, having him ranked higher than the electric fastball there of Hunter Green? This is a really interesting name for me. I mean, you're, you're looking at a first-round pick from Oklahoma that had a much shorter track record than a lot of first-round pitchers that we see almost ever. Uh, he was used mostly as a hitter, as a freshman at Oklahoma, missed time in 2019 with an injury, and in his draft year, that was mostly wiped out with COVID. Uh, but he sits in that upper 90s, touches triple digits with the fastball, late-breaking mid-80s slider with hard-sinking changeup that sits in the upper 80s. Uh, really nice pitch mix. Uh, pitched well enough in high A last year to see double A and triple A instance uh, over 2021. And though he compiled that 12.8 K per nine, his walk issues became prominent as he got to higher levels, averaging five per nine between double and triple A. Uh, had a promising innings load for me, though, last year for a prospect that hasn't thrown a lot of innings at any level, 123 innings and 24 starts. And lengthening out was one of my biggest question marks for him going into last year, which he seemed to quell a little bit. Has a huge arm, but he's going to need to continue to prove that he can stay healthy in order to build that up. His arm action to me has a lot of question marks regarding his durability long term. And if he can't stay healthy, he might be re relegated to that relief arm. But, you know, whatever his role is at the major league level, he's absolutely got electric stuff. like to see him work on the walk rate. Yeah, I mean, I, I pretty much agree across the board with you on this guy. He's he's a big physical frame. Uh, he's not going to develop much more into that. Uh, I do think he makes it look effortless on the mound. Uh, but you sort of touched on his control issues. I mean, we, we watched footage on him, and it's just it's clearly that he has mechanic issues, and he just, when he falls apart, he just has a hard time locating. I mean, it's, it's, you can't deny his plus pitches. He throws extremely hard. He's got a great slider, but I just I I think the only reason I was willing to rank him so high is that K rate you mentioned. He's a high risk, high reward kind of guy. I was impressed that he was able to lengthen it out, but I just it's 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 hard for me to not think that he might not have a another year or two of development before he can get that walk rate down. I just don't see many guys with the four and a half to five walks per nine get up to the bigs. I mean, he's pitching five to six innings per game, and you're talking with that walk rate, you're talking six to seven walks per. Per, per outing and I think that's a major concern I think he's got mechanical issues that we're going to need to see develop and and you sort of mentioned the uh 
you know, the injury history, I, I sort of put that to rest after this season. I'm not too concerned with that. But, yeah, just this is a guy that's big risk, big reward. It's interesting to me for as effortless as he throws the ball. I'd like to see it look like it was a little more effort and be able to have the control, you know what I mean? But it, it, he's definitely a guy with that upside, and I think that's what carries his rank into the top 50 here where you're looking at a guy who, even with control issues, was able to be effective at times last year where, you know, if he gets that reined in, he's definitely a frontline starter material. And I think that's what he set, what sets him apart from guys that are a little bit lower in the rankings where their ceiling is that third, second starter tops. Is he someone, like, you already just touched on Hunter Green. We know his electric fastball. We know his injury risk. But when you're talking about high upside, is he going to have that that higher ceiling than Hunter Green like we were touching on earlier? I, I think he's a guy in a similar vein to Hunter Green where if they can get lengthened out, I mean, that, that, that's really what you're talking about in, in terms of frontline starters, guys who can eat innings, who can get the Ks, who can put hitters away instead of letting them get on base. And I think that's really the question that comes along with that walk rate. How deep can you throw into games? I mean, that's what you see with guys like that as a Lacey or, you know, the Blake Snell molds that we've been talking about. How effective can you be while also striking guys out at a high rate? And I, I, I think – when we're talking about guys like this, that's a little bit less of a concern. Maybe not as much with Cade Cavalli in comparison to Hunter Green, but you're talking about adding the pitch like a changeup and having you know different levels of success with different pitches versus having a more limited pitch mix or not being effective. I think if I'm going to compare the two, I'm Hunter Green. I'm a little bit lower on, but it's a much safer pick if you're looking for someone to break the bigs and actually probably have you know, instant success. Cade Cavalli just has those pitches that are going to be a little bit more dominant. He's less susceptible to that home run because his pitches are so overpowering. But when you look at the control issues, Hunter Green's got a little bit more under control. And, and uh, you know, if you're looking for a safe pick, go Hunter Green. He's still got dominant stuff where, where he can get a high K rate. You might face some injuries, but Cade Cavalli does have those, you know, pitches where if he can figure out that walk rate, those control issues, I mean, he, he is an SP2 kind of guy that he could really slot in there high. And and uh, I, I think I've said it twice now, big risk, big reward. Is there any concern, as you've mentioned them, trying to rein in that walk rate, trying to pitch deeper into games? Do you see them of, of any kind of inkling that as they're trying to do that, maybe they tone their stuff back a little bit and that K rate decreases, making them uh, a little bit more, get some more innings? and get maybe the same total Ks in there, but not being able to kind of carry that K rate over while they are reigning in that walk rate? Yeah, I think his K rate is for sure something that's going to carry over. His pitches are just that good. But Test Monster sort of touched on a previous prospect. It's hard to teach command and at, at this late, uh, you know, of a stage of a player. You know, he's already pitched through college in a couple of years in the minors, and you know, to try to hone back that much of a walk rate. I mean, it's it's some drastic changes that he needs to work on. I just don't see this being an easy conversion, but you're buying into, you know, all of a sudden a big change. And, you know, that high K rate, his plus pitches, if it does work out, you're talking a very high-end pitcher. But I I just have some major concerns. I think we see another year to two years of development for him. And and uh, I, 
I just, I, I see struggles with it, but test monster, what do you see? For me, it's an interesting question because you're talking about reining in that velocity to try and gain a little bit in command. But even when you rein in that velocity, he's still sitting in the mid to upper nineties. So I'm not sure how big of a question mark that really is. I mean, obviously you're talking about that triple digit fastball being the wow factor, but sitting in the upper nineties is not a crime in major league baseball. And it still sees a lot of pitchers be absolutely dominant. So for me, it's not as much of a concern, even if he goes a little bit more conservative on it to try and hone in his mechanics a little bit. He's definitely a guy that absolutely has that top tier reward, even with that risk factor that Tyler mentioned. I, I, get, I see where you're coming from test monster. And I, you know, sort of like we touched on Detmers, just when he made it to the bigs, he sort of took a little bit off or he, he added a little bit to his fastball and we saw control issues. I just don't see that being that easy of a fix for Cavalli just to say, Hey, you're throwing 101, 100, tone it back to 96 and your control is going to be, you know, there. I, I just, you know, when you have a pitcher and you tell them to throw a little less hard, I don't think that's in their instincts. And I think, I think we're going to see some real struggles. I think he has to figure it out with how he's throwing currently. Oh, I agree. Absolutely. I'm just saying in, in the context of his question, I think sitting in the upper nineties, as opposed to consi- consistently sitting at 100, but adding some control, if you can rein that in a little bit, that's absolutely not a question mark for me as far as his upside goes. Those are some definitely really good points on there. I think one of the things we have been touching on a lot in these prospect rankings and why we have maybe some of these prospects higher than the consensus is that elite upside. And really for us, we've touched on it a bunch. I know Test Monster's big on this. Tyler is also big, but not quite to the Test Monster upside of we're buying into that elite level starting pitching, trying to find that player that can break out and be that first round pick in future years while you can get him at a discount coming in this year on, you know, the dart throw here in the middle rounds. Now let's jump over to another catcher who's already made his debut with some promising results. Talking about Kybert Ruiz, you guys have him ranked at 48 here. Tyler, you have him ranked at 44, much similar to my rankings. I think I might even be a little higher on him because of his path uh, to be able to be productive. And I was uh, really high on him a couple years ago, so he's on my roster, and I'm really interested to see what you have to say about him. So Tyler, let us know. Yeah, he's on my roster too. Uh, people might be wondering why we're talking about a guy who's already debuted and, you know, had a good amount of plate appearances, but he still hasn't hit that limit, so he's still considered a prospect. Uh, he was one of the two big pieces that the Nationals did in that Scherzer-Turner trade, and they knew who exactly who they were getting. Uh, I mean, there was no surprise after his 2021 20, season in AAA that he deserved to call up. He batted 310, 21 home runs across 72 games. And then even after being called up, he showed very little signs of struggling by batting 273, three home runs across 29 games. Um, he, he was scouted as someone who might have below power ability and a bad arm with, you know, questions on if he could stay behind the plate. Uh, the power concerns, I think he's put that to rest after his production in AAA this year. I think he's uh, really worked on his bat speed, and, and that's really shown. I mean, if you watch some of his home runs in AAA this last year, he, he really was mashing. It wasn't just, you know, barely going out. So I think there's a lot of power upside there. 
Uh, as far as his arm goes, he's you know now touted as an average arm. It's still not super strong, but he was throwing up about 25% across that first 29 games in the bigs. And then as far as durability goes, in 275 games in the minors, he still managed to catch 233 of them. I don't see durability being an issue with him. I know he's a little bit bigger, but I think this is a guy that will stay behind the plate. I think the Nationals expect him long-term to stay back there and even develop more. I see him as a potential 25 home run kind of guy batting around, you know, 275. From a catcher standpoint, I see no problem him being a top 10, top eight catcher moving forward for the next 10 years. It seems to me like Kyber might be one of the only prospects that's been on the top 100 longer than Royce Lewis has. Uh, he was quickly rushed through the Dodgers minor league system. He saw seven levels of minor league ball, including AAA by the time he was 19 years old. Has displayed excellent basketball ability throughout his career, including at the major league level already. And that's translated to an average that's bounced roughly between the 270, 300 range. And he did that for the Nationals with a 284 average last year. Uh, though he makes remarkably consistent contact, we haven't seen that power put into effect into games before last year at AAA. And in the grand scheme, I think he's probably a catcher that hits for a 290 average with 15 home run upside which is more than passable in most fantasy formats. But I guess my question for Tyler is, is the power a concern? Because I only see 15 home run potential at the major league level, and you seem to think that there's more. I mean, if I speak from your stance where, you know, he's 15 home runs, 290 average, his plate discipline, you know, with how much he's going to walk, I would still take that and still rank him exactly where I did. Now, that being said, I think his power is going to play a little bit more. Uh, I think, you know, he's improved on his bat speed over the years. I think, you know, when we look early on, when people were saying he didn't have much power, he was, you know, 18, 19 years old, like you were saying, at a young age. I can't imagine a high schooler coming out, you know, just raking behind the plate like that. So I think he's grown into his body. I think he's developed as a hitter. Bat speed's picked up. He's changed a little bit. I think he has a little bit more launch angle. I think this is a guy that, you know, we're going to see – I, I still think 25 home runs is a real, you know, possibility for him. I, I mean, I, I just think it's a question for me. You talk about the exit velocity, but even last year he was sitting around that 85 mark. So I'm just not sure how much true upside is there. I mean, th there's potential, and I do like that 15 home run, you know, standard for him, but I'm just not sure what more is there beyond that outside of the batting average. But the batting average is really nice, and that's a great tool for any catcher to have because most catchers that we see in the major league just don't hit for that average. So I think there's a very safe floor here. My question is just what does that power translate to at the major league level? Are you wondering about kind of the upside in home runs here? I want to throw it back to you, Test Monster, on the question of getting up to the major league level and having that high average, being able to control the bat, while getting to hit around a player like Juan Soto, and does that improve his his runs and his RBIs that could make up for that maybe lack of home run potential in his bat moving forward? Absolutely. I mean, anytime you get to hit around Juan Soto, I, I think that's a treat for any player. I'll be interested to see what pieces they can put around him and Soto going forward because right now the lineup just doesn't have a ton outside of Josh Bell. But I do think there's immense potential if they can get some other nice hitters in that lineup. Anytime you're going to hit for a 290 average with 15 long balls, 
I think the real question in Roto is what are your counting stats going to be? And if they can add some other nice pieces, maybe a leadoff hitter with some speed, maybe a guy who gets on base a ton. I think there's absolutely potential, especially for Soto, n- no doubt. But with Kybert, no matter where he hits, I, you know, I'd like to think he'd hit ahead of him, maybe in that two or three role with that bat control, but it remains to be seen where he hits in that lineup and what kind of potential he can produce with that role. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing how it plays out over the course of a full season, having that bat control, being able to be on base uh, for a Juan Soto, uh, for a Josh Bell, and seeing that they made that big offer for Soto, wanting to keep him around long-term, you have to think that they're ready to start uh, going deep and putting uh, some offers out there for some big free agents, trying to build that team up again. So it'll definitely be a place where I look at Ruiz and I think if he's only going to get 15, I think I'm closer to Tyler thinking he's going to be in the 20s. But if, he, if he's only at that 15 home run level, if he's getting near that that 280 average 15 home runs and goes 90-90 on, on runs and RBIs, that'll be a, a pretty big deal coming from that catcher position especially with that DH opening up for him to be able to, to use that bat on a, day, on a uh, game-to-game basis. So let's move it over to a player I know you guys do disagree on, and that's Gabriel Moreno, another catcher. Seems like this year we've got a lot of catchers breaking into that top 100. Tyler, you're high on him. Tess Monster, you're not. Tyler, we'll kick it off with you. Yeah, I mean, this is one of four catchers I'm touching on, and I am a, I'm not a big fan of drafting catchers, but this is a guy I'm very excited about, very close proximity to the bigs, and another, uh, he's an international signee out of Venezuela, comes in at about 5'11", 160 pounds, and a little undersized, but he's definitely, you know, going to grow into his frame, expect to get a little bit more power out of him. Uh, where Gabriel makes up this is uh, in his average, however, he's got a great hit, hit tool, a great plate discipline. Across 37 games in AA and AAA this year, he put up eight home runs, 367 batting average, 434 on base percentage. He's got a, a little bit of a slight open stance with uh, amazing bat speed. Uh, I honestly see with a little bit more weight, I see a 20 plus home run kind of guy with a very high average. Um, I mean, we saw 37 games, he put up eight home runs, and you double those games. I mean, if he's sitting at 70 games, 16 home runs, this isn't even a conversation where we're talking about, you know, power issues. I think he's starting to grow into his body, and I think this is going to be something that really will start to play. Now, as far as if he'll stay behind the plate to keep his value, uh, he's got above average footwork behind the plate. Uh, which assist in making quick transfers, it sort of helps with that lack of arm strength. I think, you know, sort of like a touch on if he grows into his body a little bit more, that arm strength is going to come around. Uh, he's very athletic. He frames pitches very well. Long term, I see, see him staying behind the plate. Um, some people think he's going to debut in 2022. I am not one of those people. I think another year in the minors where he can throw up 100 games, and, you know, hit above 300 and hit that 20 home run mark is going to earn his call to the bigs, if not, you know, maybe late this season. But I think this is a 2023 guy that we say de- uh, see debut next year. Moreno has done more for his prospect status over the last two years than any other prospect in the minor leagues, in my opinion. Uh, it's not that I'm not high on him. I just have a few questions. Uh, he's always been a terrific de- defensive catcher a good pop rate behind uh, the plate, offsets the arm a little bit, and he's got a good feel for contact. 
We saw the power come on a little bit in double A last year. However, despite the high uh, average player that he is, most scouts don't see him slugging more than 500 in his career. Great sense for putting the bat to the ball. And we've seen that with a 300 plus average in his minor league career with only 88 strikeouts in a 191 games. That's great for me. Uh, the lack of plate discipline keeps him a little bit lower, has the tendency to swing at some bad pitches and put them in play because of that bat tool. Uh, this has led to that depressed walk rate that I talk about so often. Uh, I'm also slightly concerned with the extremely small sample size. He's only played more than 40 games once since 27, 2017. Sorry. So, Tyler, I guess my questions to you are, do you have any durability concerns here? Do you see a lack of power upside in the future? You know, it, I mean, I, I will say the biggest concern when it comes to him, it's not his plate discipline, not how he sees the ball in. He's going to put up a high average. Uh, I mean, the power is definitely a little bit of a concern of mine. But when you talk about, you know, a guy that, you know, debuted in the minors at 17, he had a frame at 160 pounds that he had a lot of room to grow. As far as durability goes, I think if he gets around that 180 to 185 pounds, I think that durability is going to come with it. And, you know, I think that power is going to play. I, I really think that this is a guy that when you see the ball that well, the power is going to come along with it. And, you know, I, I still see a 20-plus home run hitter with Gabriel Moreno. I think sort of like I touched on, 37 games is not enough to call, you know, get a call to the bigs. And I don't care what any people say they think he's going to be up this year. There's no way. I think this next year his stock is going to climb. And right now is a, a chance for you to buy him early before it climbs even higher. You guys touched on the injury concerns and maybe the power not playing up. But another thing I want to think of is, is past the playing time, Tyler. Uh, you're really high on him. They, there might not be any elite catchers in Toronto, but they do have a pretty crowded room with, with three catchers there on the active roster. Is there any concerns that uh, he might just not be able to be up as early because of the, the crowded room they have there? You know, it, it's not really a concern of mine. I mean, Danny Jensen's only there from a defensive standpoint. I think, you know, he's going to always be a backup catcher if not getting traded. As far as Alejandro Kirk goes, the Blue Jays have, you know, mentioned that uh, he's been trade bait before. I don't think long term that they see him as their catcher moving forward. I I really do see them, you know, focused on, you know, their catcher prospect in Moreno and and they've talked about trading Kirk. I wouldn't be surprised after this lockout if he is trade bait for them to, you know, make an improvement. Doesn't mean that I see Moreno being that call up. It could be just to get a catcher for them to compete this year as a one-year signee. But I don't see the crowded issues. I think Danny Jansen's a backup and always will be. And Kirk, Kirk is probably going to see the door soon. Yeah, it's definitely uh, a good thought there on if you have a, a crowded room with a bunch of average or catchers that are elite in one aspect like a like a Danny Jansen that if he lives up to his potential and is able to kind of make those strides that we're looking for if he should be able to kind of beat both both of them um, and the other prospects out moving forward and getting that that playing time on an electric offense and now to another player that I feel like has been in this exact area in the 40s forever. And we're going to touch on Nolan Gorman. Test Monster, you got him at 38. Uh, you guys have him overall at 42. Why is he still here? Why hasn't he moved in your rankings? 
And what are you expecting for him going forward? This is one of my favorite prospects to talk about. He burst onto the scene following his first-round selection in 2018 by posting 17 home runs in 63 games. Uh, quickly advanced through the minors after that, faced high A competition as a 19-year-old in 2019. Overall, we see those strikeout numbers a lot higher than we'd like. But consider this. He struck out 152 times in 2019 over 125 games, but only 115 times in 119 games against AA and AAA competition last year. So that ability to just adjust to pitching is what gives me the higher floor as he advances through the rankings. The trade for Nolan Arenado definitely necessitated a move to the keystone position, and he was more than competent there last year in his first season at second base with a 980 fielding percentage. I expect to see St. Louis start him out again at AAA, where he hit well last year, and if he continues to adjust to the pitching as he sees more at-bats, he could absolutely break the Cardinals lineup this year as a 22-year-old. Yeah, I mean, this is this is another player that you're talking about that I'm not going to have much disagreements. Uh, the Cardinal, Cardinals were very fortunate to watch him on draft day fall down to them at pick 19, which was very surprising in my eyes. Um, you sort of touched on it with Arenado locking down third base. I definitely see him shifting over to second. Um, as far as his power go, goes, early on, I was not a, a buyer in it. I thought, you know, he was someone that lacked power. He had zero speed, so I was like, you know, where does this really play? But over the years, he's really proven me wrong. And when you watch him swing, I mean, he's got a really clean swing, very quick bat speed, and I think his his power is going to play in the bigs. Uh, if for some reason somehow he ended up back at third base, I don't think that that power would really play that well at third base. But fortunately, with the Arenado trade, him going to second, that puts him at the top tier of second baseman with, you know, a 20 to 25 home run potential. Um, I mean, this is a guy, like you said, I, I, he, he could easily debut this year, and I expect that to happen. Right now, I'm I'm buying all shares on him. I think this is this is someone that, you know, if, if he's not already on the team, you should look at drafting him. I think his ADP is a little bit undervalued, and I think you can get him very affordably for someone that's going to probably play 100 games this year. You brought up him sliding down in the draft to 17. We've touched on him kind of being in that 40 overall prospect rankings for like four years now. Is there any concern, Tyler, that he really just hasn't made any improvements, that he hasn't risen up those prospect draft boards to be in the top 20, the top 10 now, when he was starting in that, that top 50 range uh, after his draft day? You know, I think Test Monster touched on it best was plate discipline. I think that was a big concern for a lot of people. And that strikeouts was something along with his power that concerned me. But, you know, he really addressed it. You look at his walk to K ratio uh, from the year before to this year, or I should say 2019 to 2021. And and it was an impressive climb. I, I really think this is another prospect that benefited from a year off and really took that year to, you know, make adjustments and a different plate approach. And as far as the concerns go, no, I think the Cardinals are going to really benefit from this. You know, we've said he's been in the top 100 for God knows how long, but I think they're going to benefit from the development that they've had. And I think his time's finally come. Tyler, you touched on maybe a limited home run ceiling for him. What gives you those concerns? Uh, just from a perspective of 
like I had mentioned earlier, I see him adjusting uh, year over year, especially against the same level pitching. And that gives me, you know, a little bit of a reasonable reason to think that he could adjust as he moves through the ranks again to be able to hit for a higher home run potential. So I guess I'm seeing a guy here who probably flirts with 30 plus most years. What do you see holding him back? I mean, we, we watched him in the minors struggle early on, and I, I'm, that's probably what really kept him from getting that call up. Um, I mean, that, the plate discipline, swinging at pro, uh, pitches outside the strike zone was something that probably, you know, really affected him. But, you know, I mean, <laughs> when you look at how many games he was putting up, 125 games, 15 home runs and, you know, A ball and high A, I mean, yeah, he was only 19 years old, but that power seemed to really be lacking uh, along with his average and, you know, how much he was striking out. So I thought, you know, with his plate discipline, that was something that he's going to be chasing to get home runs. And if this is a guy that slumps, he's going to slump for a while, but I, I really, I'm, I'm with you here. I think in 2021, he put that to rest. I like everything you guys are saying about Nolan Gorman uh, being able to kind of increase his plate discipline, uh, make better contact at the plate and, and grow into a frame that potentially has that, that 30 home run power. To me, I'm still not completely sold at him being this high just because you haven't seen that big growth that we're looking for, I mean, I mean, me personally, into that top 20, top 10. If somebody was ranked in the 50s, I'm hoping to see some progress in the minors and see them excel. Um, it will be definitely really intriguing to see him at second base and being able to increase his stock there. But now let's move over to another player that you guys are pretty far apart on here. And Tyler, you have him ranked at 28. Test Monster, you have him at 43. That's Josh Young. Tyler, why don't you let us know why he should be that high? Yeah, I mean, if you're looking for someone with a close proximity to the bigs, this is a guy out of Texas Tech. Uh, who tore it up in the Big 12. Rangers drafted him eighth overall in 2019. We got to see a small sample size that year from him in the minors. Played 44 games, flashed a plus hit tool. Power was lacking that year, but that was not really anybody anything anybody was concerned about. Um, this, this year in AA and AAA, across 78 games, he put up 19 home runs, 326 batting average, 592 slugging percentage, and... Um, you know, if you've watched his home runs and highlights, you know this is another guy that just mashes. I mean, it's he, he just has a big swing, and when he hits home runs, there are no doubters. Over 50% of his home runs were no doubters this year. Um, he's established himself at third base. He's got a decent arm, good hands, uh, but very average range. Uh, with the signings of Steger and Simeon and Lowe making his home, home base uh, or home at first base, uh, he makes a very nice addition at third base. I think this is someone that's going to break camp for the Rangers and round out that infield. I think that's pretty easily set in stone, in my opinion. Um, I think this, you know, not, maybe not this year, but next year, he's going to prove to be a top third baseman. He's got that 30-plus home run potential. He's, you know, going to be around that 270 to 280 hitter with great plus, uh, plate discipline. Uh, he's got a good strikeout-to-walk ratio. I think this is someone that, you know, is big league ready. And if you're looking to draft someone that is going to make an impact on your roster this year, this is your guy. Well, I'm going to be the first to say that I pronounced this last name wrong for a long time. 
but Young is one of the more highly regarded prospects in the game just due to his consistency and his hit tool. The first rounder from Texas Tech has one of the more refined hit tools in all of the minor leagues. All he does is hit. He posted a 300 or better average in every season since his freshman year of college. And after a delayed start to 2021 due to injury, we finally saw the swing that scouts said had changed at the end of 2019. While he's always been able to hit the ball the other way with ease, he started punishing those mistake pitchers over the middle of the plate into the bleachers this year instead of taking them the other way. With his size, some thought he might have to move to first base, but he quickly put that to bed this year with a 991 fielding percentage. Ultimately, I do have a few questions about what his true power output will be long-term, but it's hard to deny the results that we saw last year combined with that hit tool. So, Tyler, did I hear that correctly? Do you think he's going to break camp with the Rangers this year? Yeah, and I know you and I have talked about it. I mean, between between us mentioning his name wrong, I called him Jung for the longest time, and I think it took one of their announcers to finally correct us. But I'm willing to put a shot bet on the line, two-shot bet that this guy is going to break camp with the Rangers. He's going to be their third baseman come opening day. I will happily take that bet. I think he's absolutely up this year, but I don't think it's opening day. Uh, just because I think they want to see him get a few live pitches in before he makes that jump. So I'll take that bet. Well, bartender, put another shot bet on the board. You, you know, before we go to the next player, Chess Monster, I'd love to hear. I I just think they have a lack of, you know, fit at third base. I'd love to know who you actually think is going to fit at third base if it's not Josh Young. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I just think with the with what they'd like to see from him, I'm I'm more inclined to think that Isaiah Kiner Falefa is the opening day third baseman for them. I mean, we, we know what he brings to the table with his hit tool. He hit two seventy one last year with a mostly empty on base and slugging percentage, so there's not a ton to love there. But he is a gold glove defender uh in twenty twenty, so I, I'm inclined to think that they'll let him play that position and let Young get a few reps in and see some live pitching uh, at the AAA level before making that advancement. So I think that's kind of what's behind uh, my pessimism on him making that opening day roster. But I definitely think he's up this year, and that's what's inclining me to take your bet, even though I'm happy to be wrong, and I'd love to see them open up the Major League season with another bat in that lineup and let him see every rep that he can at position. It, it sounds like to me, your pro manipulation time. Is that, is that correct? Am I hearing that correct? Well, that would be an interesting way to manipulate what I just said. Uh, I do think Kiner Falefa is an established player. So I do think that is what leans to my credence of thinking that, but I can see why you would think that. It does bring up a good point, uh, and we'll see what happens with player manipulation time as these uh, negotiations round out here as we uh, get to hopefully an MLB season that starts on time. And now let's move it right along to Max Meyer, a player out of the University of Minnesota that we all were really excited about. You guys have him ranked at 34. I know last year he fell in my draft board specifically because I saw that big reliever risk with him with uh, two dominant pitches 
and being a part of a system that has a lot of starting pitching there. Uh, Test Monster, why don't you let us know why that reliever risk isn't really a thing considering how high you have them ranked? Finally, some homegrown talent out of Minnesota. Meyer was the third round pick out of the University of Minnesota in 2020 with that electric fastball and slider combo you talked about. Sits in the upper 90s with the heat that can touch triple digits with a devastating 90s slider. Has flashed a good changeup that sits in the upper 80s to low 90s as well. He's shown the ability to pitch deeper into games as a starter in college and has good command as well, which gives them the feeling of a frontline starter and a little bit of a safer floor than some of the prospects we featured earlier. Uh, was dominant this year between AA and AAA uh, with an ERA and K rate that fantasy dreams are built on with the control he's shown long-term to be a durable, consistent starter. I'm going to be the first to admit that I was lower on him when he came out than I should have been. I saw a lot of relief risk that you talked about. He was used as a closer in that freshman year at the University of Minnesota, and it only made 15 collegiate starts before being drafted. Uh, while I think the relief risk is still there, it's been greatly diminished with the way he's been able to work through starts with a higher pitch load than most minor league minor league pitchers are tasked with. Uh, my only red flag here is that higher walk rate that he had in 2021 compared to any season previously. But with the year off, I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt in this case. Yeah, I, I mean, just thinking about it, I'm coming from California, moving to the Midwest. I don't know how a guy from, I just don't get how Minnesota pitchers pitch in this weather year round and build up that arm strength. But uh, besides that, you and I were very similar opinionated on this guy, big relief risk. And I, I just was, you know, don't buy him in the first round. Don't, you know, don't believe what he is. And, you know, watching footage of him, you know, we watched him, you know, in the college world series, you know, make Adley Rushman look completely silly. This was a guy I should have been much higher on much earlier. And we watched him this year, just completely tear it up you know, extend those innings. He was going longer than a lot of starters in the minor leagues. He put up over 100 innings, like you mentioned. You sort of touched on his changeup, and, man, that changeup sits around 88 to 92, and then you watch him, you know, throw 97, 98, and then in comes a 92 changeup. It's just he could play with pitches better than anybody in the minors, I think, right now, and I think his stock's going to keep climbing more and more, and unfortunately, we didn't invest early on, and I think uh, – he definitely deserves where he's ranked and he's only going to move up in the years to come. But test monster, we've talked about how good the Miami Marlins uh, farm system is with pitching. I'm curious out of all the prospects we've touched on and we, you know, we still even have more, I think to touch on Where do you, who do you think gets called up first to uh, the Marlins? Well, I think that's an interesting question. I mean, obviously we've talked about Yuri Perez and how young he is and, only saw a ball last year. So I think that rules him out. I think the real question here is between him and Edward Cabrera. And we saw a guy in Cabrera who broke the big leagues last year, albeit with not a great track record, but I think he's probably got an inside shot at this point, just because he's already on that 40 man roster to crack that rotation first, or at least get a long relief look uh, in a similar Kopech role that we've talked about so frequently in the past. So I think he's got, he's probably got the best track record, but, as far as prospects we're talking about with that ceiling as an impact starter, I think Meyer absolutely headlines this list. And I wouldn't be surprised to see him pitching sometime towards the end of the year, maybe early next year. 
So Test Monster, you touched on uh, Max coming up and possibly being an impact starter with all of that dominant stuff that he's shown. But when you look at that rotation, I see uh, Sandy and Pablo and Trevor and Lazardo and Sixto already sitting there five deep. Now, that's not even touching on Cabrera yet or Hernandez. So Cabrera could definitely slot into that, that bullpen role that you're looking at already being on that 40-man roster. But with that bullpen being so weak, I mean, they traded away their closer last year. They don't really have any real electric arms in that bullpen. And seeing a spot there for uh, Max Meyer to come up and go into that Josh Hader role seems something that is very viable to that team moving forward this year. And I guess my question to you, Tyler, is going to be, do you see him being able to go into that bullpen and making that role, or do they keep him in the starting role? And if he is in that Josh Hader role and comes in and performs similar to Josh Hader, being able to carry your fantasy bullpen, is he still worthy of kind of this high of a pick? Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to sit here and compare anybody to Josh Hader, but <clears throat> when you think about them losing Yimmy Garcia, it's like, you know, who are they going to throw in that bullpen to take over? And, and you know, I, I'm a firm believer that, you know, if Jesus Lazardo continues to struggle, you know, from a long, you know, starter standpoint, he could automatically push to that bullpen. But sort of like Test Monster explained, I think Edward Cabrera is the next guy up. Now, as far as it goes, you know, with how developed Max Meyer is and how much he's proven, he could easily be called up as a long reliever, you know, maybe fill in the bullpen late in the season if they're actually competing in that division. But as far as it goes, if if we're talking about anybody joining that bullpen, I think it's, you know, Jesus Cesardo, maybe Edward Cabrera. I think right now at this at this time, they, they see Max Meyer as a starter. They see him already extending his innings in the minors. I mean, he's going a lot longer than a lot, a lot of minor league pitchers. He's, you know, hitting that six inning plus mark on a lot of his starts. So I don't see them wanting to throw him in the bullpen unless something, you know, turns like a Nate Pearson where injuries start to happen and, and you fear that you're going to lose that impact pitcher that you have and they have to. But I think Max, Mar Max Meyer is going to be, you know, a starter for them. Edward Cabrera can easily be a bullpen arm for them. You know, it just, I, I'm excited to see, you know, where Jesus Lazardo slots in. And like Test Monster said, I think Edward Cabrera is the next man up. Yeah, Max Meyer is somebody that I'm still not completely bought into. I still think personally there's that that high risk of, of being that elite bullpen arm with how many starting pitchers that there are in that system that are all around that same age just coming up together. So it's definitely going to be interesting to see how all of that develops and moves forward. But really excited to see from the University of Minnesota uh, standpoint represent uh, his success moving forward in the major leagues. But now I want to move over to a prospect that, Tyler, you were all on last year and were kept telling me, bye, 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 you're not ranking him high enough. And that's Francisco Alvarez. You guys have him ranked at 28 this year. We've seen a big jump from last year to this year in his rankings. So, Tyler, take your bow. Tell us why you were right and why we should continue to buy on him. You know, I love to hear compliments because, man, I hear them often, and often I'm correct. But I, I, I want to touch base before we go into Francisco Alvarez. He deserves the time. I do have to touch base on the Marlins again because we, we sort of were touching on how many pitchers they have. And 
I just have to say, if, if you're drafting one of these guys, you have to understand there's a lot of trade bait that the Marlins have. I'm very adamant that one of these guys is going to be used. You, you know, I, Nation, I remember we've talked, you sort of mentioned how Zach Gallon was traded for Jazz Chisholm, and, and, and everyone was sort of surprised. And, you know, everyone thinks the Marlins lost that, but we, I'm pretty adamant that Jazz is going to sit nicely at second base for them. I think, you know, I could easily see Pablo Lopez, someone that, you know, the Marlins just aren't a team that likes to pay out people. They could easily trade him and get a bat and compete. I really see the Marlins competing in the division, if not this year, next year. They have the arms and, you know, just know that if you're drafting a Marlins prospect, he might not be a Marlins prospect for long. If not, he might get called up sooner than you think because a current arm might get traded. So anyway, enough about the Marlins. Uh, in the Francisco Alvarez, this is another catcher of mine. You're going to hear me think four of the prospects I talk about today are catchers. It's another catcher out of Venezuela that the Mets, you know, took uh, at the age of 17. He had a quietly good season that year. Uh, but this year, we finally got to see him for a full season between A and high A ball. He batted 272. He put up 24 home runs. Uh, he managed to have a 388 on base percentage. He's got great play discipline. When you look at him, the bat, he's got this stocky build. Um, and when you watch him run, you're a little surprised how agile he is i mean he is very quick for a short stocky you know stubby guy i'm very impressed with how quick now i'm not saying he's going to steal bases so don't take that for what it is but he's a lot more athletic than what he looks like he's got a slightly closed stance with a short compact swing as far as it is if he'll remain behind the plate he's got a plus arm and has consistently been clocked under two seconds for his pop time he's average uh he has average receiving and blocking skills I see him sticking behind the plate, but look to see him catch more like 90 games a season and be used as a DH for the other games. But this is a bat I see down the road being difficult to keep out of the lineup. This is another interesting prospect for me. And I find myself traditionally ranking these catchers lower than you just because of the risk inherent in drafting a catcher. But he had a huge season in rookie ball in 2019 thanks to his good feel and contact and approach at the plate. We saw him take the next step last year by adding plus power to that profile. One of the best defensive catching prospects in the game. Not like Harry Ford or some of the others we touched on, like Austin Wells. He's definitely a lot to stay behind the plate long term. Younger catchers are notoriously slow developers at the dish. But we simply haven't seen that with Alvarez, who built on that rookie season with 24 home runs and a 272 average last year. Equally impressed with his plate discipline uh, as his bat. 55 walks to 89 strikeouts in 99 games. That gives him a big boost in leagues that count OVP and OPS as that fifth counting stat. Uh, struggled a little bit more at high A with the average, but he's a player that looks like he can make the adjustments at the plate with his approach. Still only 20 years old, we'll likely see him start the year at double A, but he could easily find his name in the Mets lineup card in 2023. It's definitely not something I'm accustomed to on giving Tyler compliments and telling him that he was right, but he definitely hit the nail on the head with this a few years ago when he was talking about, this is somebody to keep your eye on and be able to draft in those late rounds. And this is a prospect that has definitely panned out rising up everyone's draft boards this year and really excited to see kind of what he can blossom into with 
with no real competition to get him behind the plate for the Mets in the near future. And now let's move into Jordan Walker. You guys have him ranked at 29, both pretty similar in your rankings. Seems like a really exciting prospect that obviously is here for a reason. Test Monster, why is he ranked higher than somebody like Nolan Gorman to you? I think for me, I mean, I, I could have swore when he said Jordan, it was with a soft J and it's more like Jordan because that's the kind of player I see here. He looked great in the summer of 2019, and some thought he might be a top 10 pick in the draft, but came out a little bit slower in 2020, and then the pandemic set in, which kind of dropped him down to the Cardinals' kind of range. Elite raw power here, and that frame suggests he could have even more raw power raw in the future. Uh, it'll be interesting for me to see where his, pro his profile is long-term with that frame. Not many guys at the hot corner have a 6'5", 220 build. Uh, first base, I don't know. Uh, he could project physically as a Joey Gallo type, uh, though with the power and average he showed in A-ball, we can reason reasonably project a higher average at this point, I think. He should project for 30 to 40 home runs annually in his prime, and I'll be interested to see how he can perform at double-A this year, but his strikeout rate is in check, and he draws walks reasonably well with an advanced, advanced pitch recognition tool. You know, you, you sort of touched on where he profiles, and you sort of mentioned first base. I agree. I think third base long-term is just probably where he won't end up. Uh, but, you know, he, if you actually think about it, he's got a strong arm. I see him actually projecting maybe as a right fielder. I, I could see him shifting the outfield. He's got that strong of an arm. I, I you know, I, I agree third base isn't probably a spot. First base is a real possibility. You touched on his power. I couldn't agree more. I mean, this dude is massive. He's like 6'5", 220. Couldn't agree more. He, he's he got that raw power. He, sh he showed it this year. Uh, now, you, you sort of touched on his hit tool, and you, you, know, you said you see his average playing a little bit higher. I think I'm a little bit in of a disagreement there. I think, you know, I, I think his hit tool was a little overrated this year. I think he's probably closer to that 280, 290 hitter. Uh, you know, we see these long hitters with these long limbs having a hard time getting to a ball, you know, at a higher level when it's coming in a little bit harder, longer extensions. I, I see it playing closer to 280, but that power 30 to 40 home runs, I don't think that's an understatement. I, I see that as a real possibility for him. Uh, he's filled out into his frame already. He's got good speed. So whether you're playing Roto or points league, this guy's going to play everywhere. Yeah, I mean, Test Monster, I'd, I, I guess you say his hit tool is a little bit, you know, you project that a little bit higher, I guess. What, what, what leads you to believe that? Well, I guess for me, when you're talking about a 280 or a 290 average with a guy who's going to hit the kind of long balls that he does, I guess that's what I mean in the sense that his hit tool is going to play up because any kind of a tool like that is just almost unheard of for a guy who hits that many home runs. You look at a guy like Joey Gallo who struggled to hit a 200 average year in and year out. So for me, if I'm getting a 280, 290 average out of a guy who's going to park that many long balls in the bleachers, I'm over the moon. And when you talk about a guy who walks and strikes out as much and as few as he does, and don't sleep on that speed tool either because 
he swiped 13 bags last year too, even with his size. So I think he's got a lot of tools that are really nice and that pure upside, raw potential. It's everything that I keep talking about that I'm big on for guys in the draft and specifically guys who have that long ball potential who can put up that fifth category wherever it's needed, can give you the runs, RBIs, maybe a handful of steals. Uh, this is definitely a guy I'm bye, bye, bye. You, you know, I, I, I guess I, I understand your hit tool perspective, you know, downplaying when he gets the big, it's going to come down a little bit. As far as the speed goes, I mean, you look at this guy, 6'5", 220, he's going to fill even more. He's massive. So I think that's, that speed's going to downgrade a little bit, but uh, I, I think you and I are on board. We've got a major tool here. Yeah, for sure. And when you're talking about a guy who can chip in a steal here, a steal there, it, it's those guys that we keep talking about where if you don't necessarily have to count on that 40 to 50 steal guy to be that one category in your league who depresses everything else, you've got that up and down your lineup. This could be one of those guys. And this is somebody – me personally, in one of my dynasty leagues, I have picked two going into the draft this year. And with uh, all the players that have been taken already and are protected, these are those guys I'm looking at in the first round uh, that is really an intriguing prospect to me. And I'm going to have to definitely dive deeper to see if I want to take that upside that the Test Monster is talking about with that raw potential going forward. And let's close it out now by going to Nick Gonzalez. You guys have him ranked at 26. Both of you have him ranked at 27 individually overall. And this is a prospect that kind of shocks me, breaking into almost that top 25, somebody that I am not nearly this high on. Don't think he is going to be that playable in roto formats. Tyler, tell me why I'm wrong. Yeah, I mean, if you haven't picked up what my saying is, let me just say this. This is a guy. Out of New Mexico State, many thought with tougher competition and wooden bats, you know, he might struggle a little bit in the minors. He put those worries to rest when he went to the Cape Cod League in 2019, put up seven home runs, batted 351 across 42 games. Like Nation likes to say, I bought all of his shares last year. In 2021, he proved how good of a bat he was. He put up 18 home runs, 303 batting average, uh, about a 385 on-base percentage across 80 games on high ball. When it comes to his defense, most people aren't good enough. You know, they say most people aren't good enough to play shortstop. You put him at second base. For Nick, I think this makes him even more valuable that he solidified as a second baseman with his power potential, his hit tool. He has a slightly open stance, good bat speed, good barrel control. He has great plate discipline. He's got good speed on the bases. I, I am safe to say that this is a guy that is easily going to put up 20 to 25 promos a year. He's going to steal 15 bags. He's going to have a plus batting average. I see him starting at double A this year, and I project him to be up by next year very easily. I mean, you look at Nick Gonzalez and you see a guy who put up video game numbers at New Mexico State playing on the surface of the moon, it seemed. Uh, it made him an easy first-round pick for the Pirates in 2020. That career 399 average with 747 slugging at New Mexico State was absolutely huge. 
had a nice year this year at high A, 303 average with 18 dongs. Uh, the strikeouts were a bit alarming, though. Uh, 30% strikeout rate, 16% swing strike rate to boot. Uh, Ultra-compact swing with short levers definitely makes him more adept at hitting fastballs. But some of his mechanics seem to resemble Keston Hira and Carter, Carter Keeboom, uh, who have struggled to adapt at velocity at the major league level. However, his footwork is definitely more simplistic than Hira, and his, he has shorter levels than Keeboom, which make him a little bit more of a safer play here. Uh, definitely more likely to hit those fastballs at a higher level. Definitely a guy to me who looks like a lock to be a 300 hitter at this point, even if he ends up with that fringy power, which I think he might. He should hit enough to stay at the top of the lineup. Likely ends up as a second baseman, like Tyler says, but he definitely has the talent to do enough with the bat to warrant a spot this high in our rankings. Yeah, I mean, you sort of touched on you, you sort of touched on that fringy power test monster, and and you know you expect a guy putting up those kind of video game numbers at a New Mexico State to come out of college at you know, at that high of an age to play at higher level ball and really be, you know, putting up maybe even better numbers than he did, which were pretty elite. But I don't want it. I don't want people to forget he missed four to six weeks with a fractured finger. I think this is a, you know, easily a guy that we could have seen at double A this year. If, if he didn't miss time, he proved at high A ball that that was weak competition for him. I, I think if we see a full season of him, we're going to see him end at triple A and he's going to be knocking at the bigs. And, you know, Nation, you know, you sort of touched on, you, you were sort of skeptical of, you know, what you thought of him. But I just, I, I, you know, you think of Roto with his speed and, you know, his power potential at second base. I don't, I just don't see many second basemen in front of him. I get what your guys are saying here. But to me, when I look at his stats, he's put up huge batting average numbers in college. He put up, a uh, 300 batting average in high A ball. And, but with that huge batting average number at 303, he did have over a strikeout a game, which leads me to think that that might not be uh, something that carries over as he moves up the levels. And when you talk about steals, I haven't seen him put up that big a steals number. I mean, in 80 games, he stole uh, seven bases. So over a course of a season, you're looking at a 15 steal guy. Uh, if you're not putting up those kind of power numbers that I I see that you put up 18 home runs in high A ball, but I just don't see kind of that power number carrying over with that batting average and a strikeout number that in high A ball doesn't lead me to believe that he is really going to be able to kind of carry that over. Test Monster, like, what am I thinking that, uh, why am I so low on him and why should I be higher? No, I absolutely understand your concerns. Like I touched on, that 30% strikeout rate is alarming, 16% swing strike rate. But you got to remember, he missed a lot of time last year, but in 80 games, he put up those 18 home runs. I think that's something that quells a little bit of those concerns about that hit, hit for power tool that have kind of plagued him for a while because he played at such an offensive-friendly environment at New Mexico State. And I definitely see a guy who definitely has that 20 home run potential as a floor, I think. So definitely a guy I see hitting for power, hitting for average. What remains to be seen is, I think, from a Roto perspective of what kind of lineup is going to be assembled around him. Because if you're counting on runs and RBIs, it's 
definitely not a pirate lineup or prospect system for that matter that's conducive to either of those at the current moment. Yeah, Tess Monster, I, I definitely agree with you from a roto standpoint, that lineup. I mean, you got to hope that Henry, you know, Henry Davis or, you know, Neil Cruz is going to pan out and some of their other prospects. But, uh, you, you know, Nathan, you sort of mentioned that lack of home run power in college, but you, you got to remember 40 to 50 games, he's still putting up 12 to 16 home runs. And you got to look at his slugging percentage. That's not something to overlook, or not his slugging, his OPS. He's putting up anywhere from a 950 to a thousand plus OPS every year he's played. That is not something to overlook. He's getting extra base hits constantly. He's, I mean, this is a guy that just really knows how to make an impact on every team he's played. So, you know, even if, even if we undershoot his home runs at 15 to 20 home runs, his extra base hits have always been a big factor. Yeah, I get looking at that OPS. Anytime you see an OPS over one, you have to take notice of it. And to me, I, I see that New Mexico State uh, area to play in being very hitter friendly and being able to carry it over to a 950 in high A ball is nothing to kind of blink at. Like that's still putting up great production for him. And I think he's going to be one of the more polarizing prospects in how you draft this year is do you think he's going to be able to get to that 20 stolen base mark in the season? Do you think he's going to be able to get to that uh, 25 home run uh, benchmark as well? And if he hits both of those, then he's definitely worthy of this draft spot. But count me as still skeptical and probably not I will ever draft him high enough to be able to kind of get his shares on my team. But again, being a part of O'Neill Cruz and some of these other prospects going up in Pittsburgh, could make for a really intriguing next few years for him as he uh, makes his way to the major leagues. And now that we're done with the top uh, 26 to 50 prospects, uh, let's look forward to what we got coming on here at the Dynasty Locker Room in the future. I know Test Monster, me and you have some exciting things that are coming out in a couple of weeks. Why don't you let everyone know what's coming up? Yeah, I know you and I have been working really hard with Tyler on our top 300 rankings. Really excited to break those out in a couple of weeks when we're done with the prospects and look at who we're really looking at to target and draft for startups next year. Uh, also, I think we're probably going to have some interesting shot bets that come out of that, so that'll be fun to monitor. Uh, for me, I've been working on uh, my hockey rankings, just posted the forwards, so those will be coming out uh, with defensemen and goalies in the future. Uh, just wrapped up the buy and sell articles for the divisions. So be moving on uh, pretty heavily into the prospects for the American League West and then running through the National League. And then anything else that I see fit as it comes along. Yeah, it's definitely something to look forward to after we wrap up the prospects next week is diving deep into that top 300 rankings and seeing kind of how different we are in some opinions with each other and the consensus in general. And excited to have Tyler join us for a part of that. Tyler, what else you got coming up here? Yeah, I, I, well, I got to start by saying Test Monster. I, I'm going to be sad to read your AL West prospects because I, I got to imagine the uh, Angels aren't going to be on there much. But outside of that, I'm going to be uh, – releasing an article next week for the NL Central bus candidates that I think uh, you should stay away from. And then I'm hoping uh, here soon, Jason and I release an article for 10 prospects that you 
might not have heard of that you should be heavily investing in or at least, you know, keeping track of. But outside of that, I'm excited to join you guys for the top 300 uh, uh, dynasty rankings. And I'm uh, excited. I, I come from a point standpoint where I've done points leagues my whole life. And to switch over from a points to a roto standpoint, I'm really ex- excited to get a new perspective. But if you want to read any of my articles, you can either go to Dynasty Locker Room or you can read on Reddit uh, under FART0263. Again, it's FART0263. And I'm also on Twitter and I uh, try to reply day of. So feel free to reach out to me. Back to you, Nation. Yeah, it's definitely going to be exciting to see how your rankings change and how you can talk about how the rankings change in the top 300 between a points league and a categories league, which uh, me and Test Monster are are more accustomed to. That's how we usually prefer our dynasty league. So it'll be a lot of fun to, to see the different perspectives come into play there. And I know for me, one of the exciting things is our forum is up and running at the dynastylockerroom.com. Come over, chat with us, ask us some questions about uh, any trades you have upcoming or any draft picks that you're uh, looking to make. If the player's this high that we're missing on, just any kind of thing you want to talk about as far as your team specific things or fantasy sports in general having a good time being able to kind of have that back and forth conversation. And on that forum, we're going to have this DLR league tab. And that's for anyone who wants to join our DLR dynasty baseball league that we're starting up. So we'll have a 16 team league, uh, six by six categories starting up. It'll be really fun to enjoy the community uh, all getting together to talk about uh, dynasty baseball in general. And we'll have some prizes for some of the best draft picks and, some of the best trades, just really being able to highlight some of the fun things that happened in the league and giving some people some airtime, being able to come talk on a podcast about their thoughts on the draft, why they made some picks that they did, and being able to just be kind of a part of the Dynasty Locker Room is really exciting uh, for me and for everyone here at the Dynasty Locker Room uh, to enjoy with the community. So Test Monster, any last words before we sign off here? No, I mean, we've, we've talked about a lot today, but absolutely, if you haven't already, subscribe to the channel. Uh, we'd love to be able to reach out to listeners like you on a more consistent basis. Give us a like, give us a comment, tell us what we can do to make the podcast uh, a little bit more well-rounded for you. If you have a specific interest, come visit us on the forum. Tell us what you're looking into, what you need information on. We'd love to dive into into it with you. Uh, and you know, any anytime you want to find me, I'm at uh, DLR Test Monster. Come find me on Reddit, Twitter, right here at the Dynasty Locker Room. I'm well ready, willing, and able to help. Absolutely, that's really exciting. You always can find me Nation DLR at Twitter, at on Reddit, um, at the Locker Room. And until next time, we appreciate you listening. Like, subscribe, follow, and we'll talk to you later. <laughs>